Father, thanks for for a new day, for new mercies. Uh, Lord, I uh, just on a personally, it's been a tough week um, with with illness, and and I think a, a lot of us are are just sick, sickish, um, you know, and and for many, it, it's kind of a cycle, especially with. Big families, one kid gets sick one week, and then another, the next kid the next week, and then another kid, and then the parents, and it, I think for some, it just feels like it's never going to end, and I know this, this week, in some ways, for me, felt like a week that would never end, but here we are, it has ended, and a new week has begun, and you have brought us together this morning, and, and I, I do pray that in the Sunday school hour, that it, our time would be used well, that you would bless our um, our discussion, that you, it would be fruitful uh, as, we, as we wrap up this uh, interlude in this class regarding um, the, the digital landscape in which we live. It certainly will come up again in some ways, probably, as we consider its implications for the rest of the things we'll talk about in this class, but as a a unit on its own. We're finishing up today, and do pray that it would be helpful, the things that, that are discussed. And, um, and uh, Lord, so for those who are sick, traveling, we do pray and, uh, and ask that you would bless them and extend kindness to them. And for those of us who are here today, Lord, we we do ask for your communion presence to dwell with us and in us um, through Christ and the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, well, we have, we have a race to run. Hebrews 12, 1 tells us that since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then Paul in Acts 20 offers a, uh, a mission statement of sort for himself. Right? He does not account his life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so here we are once again seeking to equip ourselves to run, to run this race, to run it well, to run it to the end, and to not fail to fulfill any God-given obligations that we have, real God-given obligations, not just perceived ones. Um, And so we are discussing the effect that our phones, our smartphones, our computer screens, our TVs, our just the all-encompassing digital world in which we live, we're we're discussing, wrapping up a discussion on the effect that that has on us. And so 
We've spent several weeks uh, just considering how easy it is to get caught up into this, uh, into this landscape. That it's, we're being ever just drawn into it. And what I want to think about today is how hard it is to get out. Um, and I don't necessarily mean hard to... Um, hard to, like, live off the grids, sort of, so to speak, where we're literally, you know, ha- like, I don't even have a phone, or I, I don't have a, I don't, you know, use electricity or whatever, um, the sense of some type of purposeful disconnection from the from the digital world is all we're really talking about. I think it's a lot harder than we realize. And so I don't remember if I've read this quote to you guys before. It's kind of a long one, but I think it makes the point well from uh, Felicia's song. She says this. She says, Because the digital is understood as a system that spans venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, and engineers to social media influencers, content providers, and advertisers. Because of that, when we try to tamp down our digital compulsions in a particular area of our lives, we often quickly realize that the problem is not just about sharpening our own sense of volition. Rather, to do so, to tamp down right, these digital compulsions, is to resist... <coughs> is to resist and push against an entire system that has been constructed and arranged to slide us down particular paths and corridors. So when we try to resist checking our work email during the weekend, we shouldn't be surprised to find that we may run up against a broader and deeper cultural reality that champions productivity and financial success. Or when we unplug from social media for a few weeks, we shouldn't be surprised when relationships feel destabilized when we feel, and we feel cut off from everything that is happening and people question our commitment to friendship. Because any such contestation or resistance against the prescribed practices of this digital ecology may threaten to tear at the very fabric of who we are and what our reality has become, changing our digital habits can, simp- can feel simply impossible and be quite painful. Any attempt to question or resist a technological status quo, then, will require more than a solitary act of personal discipline and self-improvement. So that is, uh, as I said, a very long quote. Um, but and, do you have any thoughts about it? Any, anything, even if you don't, probably can't recall, maybe you don't recall anything specific about it, but just the... the the tenor of of that quotation does that does that seem to be true? Yeah, it, it takes a conscious, and I think that while it may not have been, you know, the you know, it's not like our effort has just been okay. We are going to overthrow the need for Facebook or whatever. But the very nature of the church as a community is a very conscious choice and decision to say no. I'm going to prioritize weekly and often more than that, gatherings in 
embodied with my local church. Now, uh, I think since 2020, there are many churches that um, probably feel the, the effects of kind of the disembodied living that is captured in the, the digital world, right? With, you know, streamed services and, and things like that. Um, where I think many, even Christians, and I do agree that I, I think we have something different here, um, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but I think it takes and will always take, unless something radically changes with all this, a conscious decision to continue to let that be. I think this is always making some effort, some attempt to to, to draw us in. And so we can use these things, admittedly, but I, I think that if we, um, we find ourselves just being, right, uh, it's just sliding us down particular paths and corridors. If it's not a conscious interaction with this stuff, then we'll end up, I think, far more um, caught than we realize. But I do, I do agree that, um, that for Christians in general, I, I think our church and others like us in particular, that this is probably not as true as it is for many, many people in our culture. Yeah. Um, so... The, the point, I, I guess what I would, as I was trying to, if I was to summarize the point, right, it's not about what I'm getting at. Is that it's not that our, I don't think our phones, the, they're not just singular tools that we can choose to use or not. I think in a sense that's true. But it's also true because of like what Mark was talking about and how everything is becoming increasingly based around the web, the internet, and, and that includes our doctor's appointments, our job interviews, that includes our, um, in some ways for some people, our friendships, it includes our, um, you know, our everything. Our books, our reading, you know, we, we read everything online um, and not not paper, paper books anymore, and I think that there's pros and, and cons to that, but, um, you know, but if we don't ask what the pros or the cons are to these things, then I think we're going to get sucked in. So, um, it's growing at this, it's sucking us in, encapsulating every aspect of our lives, growing at an exponential rate. So, last week I referenced Matt Perman in his book, What's Best Next? And this is so I did confirm that this is what he said. Now this is, doesn't confirm that this is true, but it is what he said. That back in 2013, the amount of information on the internet began doubling every 72 hours. So that was almost a decade ago. I, I wonder if it's every 72 minutes now. It's uh, pretty, pretty wild to think about. Uh, how much information um, is out there. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's content, right? It's, it's data. It's things to sift through, to read, and then to have to... And I, he said that there were, I think, 
I'll have to check this again. But Richard said then there were a trillion pages on the Internet. Um, so I guess that means there's a lot more than a trillion now. Um, so this leads to, of, among other things, overload. Right? Massive overload, according to Perman. He asked, how do we make good decisions in the midst of all this overload? How do we? How, how do we make good decisions when you have to sift through a trillion pages of information that are, sift, that are doubling every three, three days? Yeah. Yeah, and so, and, and yeah, right, it's, it is a purposeful engagement that is a, and I would call it a sort of a, uh, the, a, the bare minimum um, is that if, if we can do that, though, I think generally we are, you know, head and shoulders above most people. Though it seems that even in secular circles, people are, are waking up to, to these things. But it does. Like, I have to consciously not just ask, like, well, because I got a text from so-and-so, I'm, you know, or from a, get a phone call from a number I don't recognize, I have to answer it. Like, well, it's not 1990 anymore. No, I don't have to answer it. But, um, and, uh, and so being, being very purposeful in the way that we, we approach these things, right? Um, there's a reality, though, right, that um, predictably social media giants and government, uh, they're not particularly interested in caring about you and your overload and the decisions and the, the countless decisions that you have to make any moment of every day. Why don't we do this? So I'm going to talk about four things. Yeah, the, right. And, you know, like if you've ever wondered why um, uh, Facebook and Instagram and all those things are, are free, it's because they're not the, the products, right? We are. It's our, our eyes and our attention that are being sold to advertisers and, and marketers. And so they... They track our movements with, with vigilance. Every, this is a quote from Song. I'll, I'll say this and we'll get to the four things. She says, every signal we give off, the amount of time we take to read a post, the post, the posts that we like, the ones that we skip, the content of the comments we leave, all of it's being collected and processed through an algorithm that Facebook and these other platforms use to determine what it thinks we want and what we want to see. Um, these platforms and the devices that we use to access them are designed to hold our attention. And this, this kind of comes back to what we were saying last week about living the, the undistracted life, is that I think to do that well in the digital world, you have to grapple with the fact that this is designed to hold your attention. This is designed to divert your attention away from other things. And so... If you know that, you can engage with it, generally, I think, in more responsible ways so that it doesn't hold your attention in sinful, time-wasting type of ways. It's hard, and I think we probably excuse, um, include myself here, excuse ourselves more than we, we should, but um, if we know that this is what it was for, among other, it has other purposes, but um, that's how, I mean, that's, 
it, it wants you, the more you're looking at your screen, the, the happier they, they are. So, um, four, four things, and these all come from Song's book. She talks about these four drives that, um, that I think we have as humans that social media platforms and smartphones tap into that they sort of, uh, they play into these things so it makes it very hard to disconnect from them when we so desire. So um, the first one is the idea of quantifying, right? We have a drive to quantify. Social media infuses every aspect of our social lives with numbers, right? Now, we might want to think and say that we are above caring about such things. And I don't doubt that there are people who care less about those things than others. Nevertheless, I think there is a real draw, apparently, in the human heart that is uh, exposed with something like how many friends you have or how many followers you have. There's a drive toward quantification. And I think this is, is evident when, like, can we really say that we're, that we're not somewhat injured when fewer people like a post of ours than we thought that they should, right? Maybe you're like, no, Sam, this never happened to me, but, and I'm the weird one. But before, when I, when I was on uh, Facebook, um, you know, there'd be times I'd, I'd share a quote or I'd come up with something of my own, I'd post it, and then, you know, whatever, Three, I, you know, my mom and uh, grandma would give it a thumbs up, and I'm like, oh. And then an aunt would comment, love you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And you kind of have to, you have to sift through these, these feelings about, and then, you know, you look at a post from someone else that you know, and you think, this has... 57 likes and, you know, 28 comments and 8 reshares. This doesn't make any sense. How is, how is this person getting more traffic, way more traffic than, than me? I mean, I'm, I'm a genius. I'm super bright. This guy is so not. You know, or, or just, just the number of friends or followers that you have on these things, right? It's probably not something that you think about a lot, but do you ever? And again, I think probably at this point, for most of us, it's probably not as big of a deal, but maybe, maybe before. And I, especially where a lot of this, too, we have to think about how does it affect younger people. And I realize that younger people aren't probably using Facebook anymore. Um, but whatever it is, whether it's friends on Facebook or followers on Instagram, right? you as a 38-year-old might not really care how many people have followed you on Instagram. You might care more than you realize, but you probably don't care that much. But your 18-year-old, right, probably does care Quite a bit more, um, and so, or your, you know, your eight-year-old, if uh, if they've got them, and so, 
it's not just how do we as adults, and especially people who, who grew up and lived before, you know, who were adults in some capacity before the smartphone was invented, before social media really became too much of a thing. Um, that's a much different world than the kids who, who were born way after. That's, that's the only world they know. And so the question about this quantifying drive is what do numbers actually indicate about the quality of our friendships? If you have 500 friends or 1,000 friends or 5,000 friends or so many friends that uh, Facebook, whatever it would do, would like shift your page into a public one or something because you couldn't have any more friends. You just had followers or whatever. Right, what, what do those tell you about the quality of those friendships? Or, or does a large following online indicate anything about the quality of the person that you're becoming? So that's one. We have a drive to quantify. We also have a drive to perform, and this is closely related. By our fallen attention-seeking nature, we're lovers of performance. We always have been. This isn't true just in light of social media, but it is exposed by social media, I think, in ways that um, we maybe missed before, right? So... Social media, what it does is that it puts us on a stage to perform, right? Not just, we're not just performing for our family and friends and neighbors, but for the whole world to see. Song points out in her book that um, an interesting effect that social media has on our relationships is that in real life, um, there is, as it were, a, a, a hierarchy of concentric circles of intimacy in our relationships. What do I mean by that? No. What do you think I mean? So what is, what is that? What is this hierarchy of concentric circles in our, of intimacy within our relationships? What does that mean? Yeah, for sure. And so, but, and that's, so that's real life, right? Is that you have people that uh, are, that you are uh, closest with. Right? I mean, even think about the life of Jesus, right? Jesus had uh, Peter, James, and John that he more or less shared everything with. Then he had the, the rest of the disciples that he shared a lot with, and they were with him constantly, but there were a few occasions when he just took Peter, James, and John with him, right? And then he had... The, the Marys and Marthas and Lazaruses of the world and, and other people like that that were very close with him that um, didn't necessarily travel with him, but they were, um, they were, they were friends, they were close, and then he had, and it, it kind of worked out, the, the crowds and all that. And so, <coughs> um, And, and so it is with us, is that there are people in your life that are going to be much closer with than others. Social media, what it tends to do is flatten these dimensions. And it squeezes all of my relationships into a one-size-fits-all setting. Um, the Kind of the point that she drives at in making this observation is that in social media, I'm no longer communicating relationally with people, but I am simply broadcasting for all my friends to see and assess. Right? We are performing. We're on a stage. And so, and you see, you know, we talk about it all the time, right? The, these perfectly cultivated and curated 
profiles and pictures and all of this stuff. Um, and so uh, we, we, we are performing. But also what it does is that instead of leading to, to well-reasoned con- arguments and conversations, we resort to hashtags, right? What's the, what's the cleverest one-word hashtag that I can come up with to make this sort of stick, right? We're, we continuously see people online now who, right, they, we are, um, they view their morning routines as if those are actually their morning routines, but their morning routines, their marriages, and worst of all, their, ch- their children as, as what song calls click-worthy fodder, right? I mean, their entire lives are being streamed online, and it's, uh, especially for the kids, it's pretty sad. Um, the I no longer am I living quorum Deo, right, before the face of God, but now it's to sort of mix metaphors and languages a bit, I guess, quorum Demas, before face of people, right? A third thing, so we perform, we, we uh, quantify, we perform, and then we reify. So re is a Latin word for thing. And so the idea is that um, we're referring to the, the reifying nature of um, social media is that it, um, we refer in this to our sense of limitless choices that leads uh, our sense of relationships, it, it kind of turns our sense of relationships into something like things, right? When I no longer review my relationship with you as a dynamic, wild, unpredictable encounter of creatures made in the image of God, that's not how social media tends to help us to think about one another. We tend to view our relationships as things, something to bend and mold at my will, something to discard when it becomes inconvenient, something to gossip about with others with no care in the world at the effect it will have on the other person. And fourth, control. Um, Zygmunt Boutman observed, making eye contact and thereby acknowledging the physical proximity of another human being in the modern day, spells waste. It portends the necessity of spending a portion of precious yet loathsomely scarce time on deep diving into embodied interaction. Right? In other words, we view the people around us as interruptions at best and waste at worst. Have you ever been on your phone trying to watch a video and your spouse is trying to tell you something? And so you pause it and you look up and she says something and then you think that she's done and so you go back to the video and then she starts talking again and you're like, okay. And then you think that she's done and so you look back at the phone and then she starts talking again and you look back up and... Like, it's sort of funny, but the reality is that it's a sad thing that we would find ourselves even the least bit aggravated, right? Because what are the chances that whatever it is I'm looking at on my phone are more important than the flesh and blood human body in front of me, my wife, who's 
wants to tell me a story or, or whatever it is that it was she was saying on Wednesday. But, um, but we, we view the people around us as interruptions at best, waste at, at worst. The effect this all has on us is that we, we don't live in the present. We live in the future. Right? We're always worried or thinking that there's something better, something cooler, something more fun, more exciting, more satisfying, or more whatever going on somewhere else. Right? Every moment of the day, you are offered something else. And here's the deal with all these communities and how it revolves around control, right? Is that we tend to view our community. We do this as sinful humans anyway. But I think even more so with social media is that we, we, we especially view community as something orienting around the self. Right? I get to determine who is uh, on my... Facebook feed, I can block and follow people, I can, uh, you know, I can like this post or that, that post, I can sort of determine to a point at least what I get to see, not to mention the algorithms and people underneath all of it that really get to determine what you see, but uh, there's a sense in which I'm the center of my community, I'm the one that's in control. I control who's in, I control who's out, I control whose voice I hear. And and so I think that these things all converge together, and when we try to peel back, when we try to take a step back, it's it's pretty hard. Now the good news is, is that most people, when they do take a step back, find it fairly liberating. There's a freedom that comes with it that I think makes it possible, makes it worthwhile. And, and even if you don't need to get rid of a certain platform altogether or you don't need to get rid of a smartphone, like I think um, as long as we are asking ourselves the question, um, you know, sort of the, the First Corinthians 6, right? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. but I will not be enslaved by anything. That's, easy, that's easier said than done, I think, especially when it comes to this. But if we can live by that, then I think we'll be all right. So, uh, yeah. So what, what I want to do now, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here today. And so in the next, um, the, the remainder of the class, what we're going to do is look at uh, basically... So what, what, what next then, right? We, we talked at the, for the first several weeks of the class of the, just the, the, the busyness, the struggle that, that, that we, many of us, feel in the present day. We've looked at the last few weeks about how I think the, the digital world sort of amplifies that stress. Um, what I want to do now in the last, uh, in November and in, in December, we'll, we'll look at different aspects of um, basically man as body and soul and things that we need to be aware of, things that we can do to uh, take some purposeful steps in interacting with the world around us such that we don't end up um, 
well, burning out. So that's the, that's the plan. Let me, uh, let me pray. Father, thanks for this, uh, this day. Thanks for the, the comments, the interaction that we've had. Lord, for, um, thanks for sustaining us through it. And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would bless our time as we gather for worship. And um, Lord, we, are, we, we need you desperately. So would you come and meet with us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.